0: We are making our way through a series that we, um, in which we're walking through the book of Revelation. We've titled this "God Wins." We've recognized that as the theme of this book. Uh, that while it's fascinating and fun and cool to read, that the point of this book is to give assurance and thought to the reader that God will ultimately be victorious. He'll ultimately be victorious over sin, over his enemies, over death, that God wins and that there is no one that can change that event. This is a book of the prophecy of the future and the prophetic nature of it specifically revolves around a time known as the tribulation. The tribulation. Now, the tribulation has marked our progress through the book right now. The tribulation is a seven-year period at the end of time that precedes the, the, the last return of Christ. The tribulation is a time of God's judgment being poured out on the earth. And that judgment stops when Jesus Christ returns and ultimately sets up his reign in victory. Well, we've been walking through much of this judgment from God up until this point. We've seen the seven seals opened of the book of God's judgment. And as those seven seals are open, God's wrath is being poured out upon the earth. Those seven seals then led to seven trumpets. And last time we were in the book of Revelation in in 8 and 9, we saw these seven trumpets being blown and every trumpet brought God's judgment upon the earth. So we saw like a third of vegetation wiped out. We saw a third of the sea turn to blood, a third of the drinking water turn poisonous. We saw demon locusts and lion-headed horses that breathe fire killing a third of the earth. Like it's it's crazy. And if you were paying attention to what we just read tonight, the craziness doesn't stop. But the craziness changes a little bit. If you noticed as we were reading through this, there weren't similar markers like we've seen in our other passages where we saw like seven seals and seven trumpets. Tonight, we just saw two stories. And the question that we have to ask is what on earth is John doing with his his literary structure? Why is he taking a break from the repetition of sevens to do what he's doing? Because we know that in chapter 16, he's going to get back to the seven bowls and look at more of God's judgment being poured onto the earth. But he takes a break. He takes a break and he does it. We're going to be here for two weeks as we look at the break that John takes from chapters 10 all the way through 15. What John is going to do is something that we're very familiar with in, in literature and in movies. If, you, if you've watched a movie recently, it's, it's very rare for a movie to just focus on one person chronologically for the entirety of the movie. Typically, there are multiple storylines that are happening as a movie is playing out. They don't tend to be only structured chronologically. If they were, movies would have no suspense. There would be nothing keeping you on the edge of your seat rather what happens when someone's writing a book or when you're watching a movie is that there's there's multiple scenes that are happening. And so often you see a chronological play out in one scene and then you switch scenes and sometimes that goes back in time. So like for example, if you watched The Last Jedi, which I hope you did because there's a massive spoiler coming right now. <laughs> Have you guys seen it? Too bad. So in in The Last Jedi, you got Luke Skywalker and he's fighting Kylo Ren, right? He's a big epic battle at the end and you're like, what's going to happen? And Luke Skywalker pulls this sweet move on Kylo Ren and Kylo Ren misses him, Luke Skywalker... I actually, I'm making this up as we go. Does he die? Does Kylo die in that scene? No, of course not. He doesn't die. Then, then you're like, what is going on with Luke Skywalker right now? So you go, you go back to another scene that takes you back before that fight ever happened. And you find out something crazy about Luke that I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> that if you had known before that fight ever happened, would have completely changed how that fight played out in your mind. What we're doing tonight in this passage is we're actually going to go back in time in the tribulation... And we're going to go back through the same storyline from a completely different angle. And it's going to give us a completely different perspective on what's taking place. Thus far, in the book of Revelation, we've seen this structure play out of God's judgment being poured out. What we're going to see tonight is going to take place during that time. But it's going to be from a completely different perspective. Where we find ourselves thus far in the book of Revelation is right near the end. Like we are right now where we are in this book in the final days. We're talking maybe weeks left in the tribulation before Jesus returns. But what we're going to do is we're going to go back to the midpoint of the tribulation and focus on this second half of the tribulation from a completely different perspective. So, I thought long and hard about what to title this. And what I landed on was, meanwhile... We've seen this story already, but what we're going to say is we know what's happening, but meanwhile, in the background, going back from another vantage point, we're going to see the same events take place from a completely different perspective. As we have worked our way through, we've seen this layout thus far. This is a picture of the seven seals, and we we laid out those seven seals. And when we got to the seventh seal, what we found was that when he opened the seventh seal, it was the seven trumpets. And so the the manifestation of the seventh seal is those seven trumpets. And so we started to look at those seven trumpets last week, and we got to the seventh trumpet. What we're going to find when we see the seventh trumpet is that the seventh trumpet actually is the seven bowls. Okay? So there's this chronological play out as we zoom in closer and closer. But what we're going to do tonight is we're not going to jump to those seven bowls. We're actually five chapters away from that point. We're going to go back in the tribulation and get a different history from a different perspective. We're going to see another angle from another storyline. What John is going to do is after leading us through those six trumpets, he's going to lead us to two visions that precede the seventh trumpet. Two visions that he's going to give us that give context to the second trumpet, to the seventh trumpet, and, and two visions that help us understand the significance of what's happening in the tribulation. So, we're going to look first at chapter 10, which is primarily going to function as an introduction to chapter 11, which is kind of the forceful element of, of these two chapters. In chapter 10, we see this vision in which John is actively engaged with what we're told is a strong angel. He says, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire, and he had in his hand a little book which is open. He placed his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on land, and he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. John paints the picture that he's seen, and it is what he calls a strong angel. As as he describes it to us, it becomes clear that this angel is magnificent, that he is powerful, and that he's large. Like this is a, a massive angel. So big that like when he stands, he has one foot on the land and one foot on the sea. And there is in his hand a book. When the angel cries out, it's like a lion that is roaring. When the angel cries out, We see the next set of sevens. Look at verse three. When he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seventh peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Oh, snap. Okay, so this is the first time we've seen this in the book of Revelation. John, in a vision, there's seven peals of thunder, and those seven peals of thunder communicate something to him, just like the seven seals, just like the seven trumpets, just like the coming seven bulls. John hears these seven peals of thunder, and he starts to write. And the angel looks at him, and he says, Stop it. Don't write what you heard in the seven peals of thunder. So the question is, What did John hear that he's not allowed to tell us? And the answer is, you're not allowed to know. Like, as much as you want to know, and I want to know. Like, I just, what what did he hear that I'm not allowed to know? The point is that you're not supposed to know. Which is helpful for us. Because there is a lot in this book that is difficult to understand. And there are things in regards to the end times that clearly we're not supposed to know. Specifically and namely, these seven peals of thunder are something that is not helpful for us to be aware of. I don't know why. I don't know what. It doesn't matter. So John seals it up. We don't need to say anything else about that because it's closed off from us. What takes place then, John is allowed to write. Look at verse 5. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven. This is oath terminology. Picture a courtroom. He lifts his right hand to heaven and he swore by him, this is God, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. The angel lifts his hand to heaven and he takes an oath. It's an oath to God, the creator. And you know what the oath is contained of? It's this statement. There will no longer be any more delay. The question is, what is he talking about when there is no more delay? Well, if you remember back to Revelation, you can turn there to Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. We saw martyrs in heaven. These are people who have been killed for their testimony and for the word of God. And they cry out in heaven with a loud voice saying this, chapter 6, verse 10. How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were also killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. God looks to these martyrs and he said, they say, how long till you're going to judge them? How long till you're going to avenge us? And he says, a little while longer, just wait. When we come to chapter 10 and we see the angel say, no more delay. There's only one delay that's been talked about thus far in this book. And it is God avenging his martyrs. It is God pouring out his wrath upon those who have persecuted his children. And so the angel makes this oath. It is time for God to avenge those who have persecuted and killed followers of Jesus. This is why our attention is brought to the strong angel in chapter 10. The focal point is not the seven peals of thunder. It's the oath that the angel makes that the time for God's wrath is no longer delayed, The time for the climax of God's punishment upon humanity is now. If we keep reading, the angel's oath continues. Look at verse 7. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. What is right before us? is the finishing of the mystery of God. What is the mystery of God? Well, we're told in verse 7 that it's what was preached to the prophets. All that has been promised and proclaimed to Israel and to believers in all time, its culmination is coming. It's right here. Like we've talked all through the book of Revelation that God's wrath is being poured out, but all the time it's been said, wait, wait, The climax is not here yet. What the angel says now is the wait is over. It is time for God to punish and ultimately destroy his enemies. The time is now. The time is now. After the seals and after the sixth trumpet, as we come to the seventh trumpet, which is the seven bowls, those are the final days of the tribulation in which God's wrath will destroy his enemies. What is noted here, and what I want us to take from this chapter, is that even in the midst of judgment, God is keeping his promises. What we're going to see in these chapters is that the tone and the angle is going to change. Judgment has been the focal point from this point. But what we see in chapters 10 and 11 is that while judgment is happening, God is actively keeping his promises to his children. That when he says to the martyrs, I'm going to avenge you, wait a little bit more, he's going to keep it. And what he spoke to the prophets when he made promises to them, he's still keeping it thousands of years later. In the midst of all this crazy judgment, in locusts, in horsemen, in death, in suffering, it's easy to think... This is a crazy book, and it's just kind of weird. It's kind of dark. It's just about death and destruction. No, it's not. It's not. It's about God keeping his promises. Yes, he is punishing his enemies, but he's protecting his people, and he's doing what he told them he would do from the very beginning. As we wrap up chapter 10, John's focal point returns back to the angel. Look at verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go, take the book which is in the open hand of the angel who stands on the sea and the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book, and he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. All that happened in those verses is that John is told to start prophesying again. You remember the last thing that he's heard from this angel was don't write. Stop writing what I've told you. Now the angel gives him permission. He gives him a book. I think this book probably contains the rest of of the bowls and and the rest of God's wrath being poured out. He says, you're going to eat this book. Kind of weird, but John just eats the book. Because when a strong angel tells you to do something, you do it. So he eats the book and it does exactly what the angel says. It's sweet at first and then it becomes bitter. We're not told exactly what that means. I think it's just the nature of what's going to be revealed. There's a sense where it's sweet, and yet as it's being revealed, this is going to be difficult and intense and grotesque and painful and even hard to deliver because of the suffering that is coming upon humanity. That it is, it is a bittersweet message as God is keeping his promises, and yet his wrath is being felt on the earth. We need to move on to chapter 11 which is where the tone of this really starts to change and we focus on what's been taking place in the tribulation all along. Chapter 10 is meant to introduce what's coming here. John is told the time is now. The time is now. God's wrath is coming. Then he says, hit the brakes. Before we hit that wrath, we need to talk about something that's been happening in the tribulation all this time that's going to give context to the coming wrath. So we've seen all this play out. He's going to say, meanwhile, this has been happening all along. What has been happening all along? I'm going to give you our outline for tonight, and then I'm going to explain it. While the nations rage against God, God reaches to the nations in three ways. That's going to structure what is the heart of this passage tonight, chapter 11. While the nations are raging against God, which is exactly what's happening all through the tribulation. The nations are anti-God. They are raging against him. And that's pulling from Old Testament terminology that we're going to see here. The nations are raging against God, but God is reaching to the nations. He is extending his grace and his mercy to the nations, even in the midst of all of the judgment that we've seen. While the nations rage against God, God... Reaches to the nations in three ways. Right now, the world in this scene is killing Christians. They are opposing the Jewish people. And it's in that context that we come to chapter 11. John says, Then there was given to me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations and they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months while the nations are, raising against, are raging against God which we saw right there the nations are trampling the city of Jerusalem God reaches to the nations in three ways the first way is this the worshipers are preserved the worshipers are preserved i believe that even in God preserving his own people that there is a testimony and he is reaching out to the nations that are raging against him that will not repent that are actively rebelling against God. John is told to take a measuring rod And to measure the temple, to measure the altar, and to measure the worshipers in the temple. Now, that term measuring for John probably didn't mean see how tall everything is as much as it was marking something off. It's almost like as if you were were outlining something, measuring it in that way. And so that term measuring in scripture several times refers to setting something aside. And specifically in this text, I think what's being talked about is that those who are associated with the temple, which is the Jewish people, they are being set aside. They're being marked off by God because they're going to be preserved. We've talked about in the tribulation that the Israelites or the Jewish people have a unique role. They have an emphasized role. That the tribulation's primary purpose is that the Jewish people would return to Christ. Well, in this scene, what we see is that the people who worship in the temple, that is the Jews, that those people are marked off. They're set aside. Here is why they are set aside. Because the nations are persecuting them. The nations are raging against them and ultimately raging against God. Look at verse 2. Leave out the court. That's a part of the temple that the Gentiles, that was intended for the Gentiles at this point. So he says, don't measure the court. Don't set the court aside. Why? Because that has been given to the nations. They will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. In this period of the tribulation, we're back to what's a 42 month period. That is three and a half years. And we're going to see this time period several times in this passage and through the rest of the book. The tribulation is broken in seven total years into two three and a half period months. John regularly records these three and a half year periods. He talks about that here. That for three and a half years, Jerusalem will be dominated. It will be overcome by the nations. That is by the enemies of God that they will persecute the Jewish people. We're told based on Daniel that the Antichrist is going to not allow the Jewish people to continue to worship. So we go back right now. Meanwhile, we go back to the three and a half year mark, the midpoint of the tribulation. And what we're gonna see tonight is what happens for the final three and a half years. You know what happens? The Jewish people are persecuted, but God is going to preserve them. God is setting them aside. He's measured them off. We've seen earlier in the book of Revelation the 144,000 Jews that God has sealed. This, this may be them. This may be uh, other Jews who are worshiping God who are going to be preserved and set aside. Regardless of who it is, God's protecting them. He's preserving them. And in doing so in this context, he is testifying to the nations that these are his people. These are his. And that they will forever be his. And if God is protecting them, they cannot be overcome. So the first way, while the nations are raging, that God reaches to the nations is that the worshipers are preserved. But a second way is that the witnesses are preaching. The witnesses are preaching. The Jewish people have been set aside at the three and a half year point in the tribulation. There's three and a half years left to go. And remember, it's only getting worse the further this thing goes on. So from this angle, we're watching and we see God reaching out to the nations. He preserves his people. Secondly, he sets up witnesses that are preaching. Look at verse 3. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. Okay, here we go. So God has two witnesses, two people that are going to prophesy for 1,260 days, three and a half years, okay? If you want to do the math on it, it won't add up. Because what he's using is the Jewish year, which is 360 days, not 365 days. But 360 times three and a half years is 1,260 days. These guys prophesy for the entire second half of the tribulation. These guys are called witnesses. I believe that these are two individuals, that these are two men. They're described very individualistically. Some people will say that these represent the church. I don't think that's a consistent interpretation within this chapter. I believe that these are two Guys that are sent by God. There's a lot of thought about who these guys are. There's a lot of evidence that this may be Moses and Elijah that come back and are witnessing. There's reasons for that that I'm not going to get into tonight. I'm not confident on that. It might be the case. Ultimately, we're not told. What matters is God sends two people and their witnesses, their testifiers, their prophesiers, their preachers. Their intention is that they would preach and proclaim God's message to the world. These witnesses are proclaiming God's message to the world. They're preaching. Perhaps, Probably the gospel message is being proclaimed probably an explanation of why all of this wrath is being poured out. They're pointing to Jesus. These are God's witnesses, God's testifiers, God's prophets. I believe why we're told this is because in the midst of all of the wrath that is being poured out, the gospel is still being preached. Suffering is taking place in the world, but God is reaching out with the message of the gospel through these two witnesses to the nations. I think that we can say with confidence that at this point in the book of Revelation that the church, as we know it today, is no longer here. I think there's enough evidence to say that the church is probably raptured at this point at the the very latest. If that's the case, the question is, well, how will people be saved? The answer to that is that God sends two witnesses who are proclaiming his word to the world. God, in the midst of suffering and wrath and judgment, is still sending out the gospel. His witnesses are preaching. God is reaching the world in that way. That leads us then to a third way, that God is reaching the nations even though they are raging against him. And that is that the world is punished. The world is punished. Again, judgment is emphasized here but only in the context of the gospel being preached. As the gospel is preached, these men are persecuted. And when they are persecuted, there is judgment that comes upon the world. But it is because of their proclamation of the gospel. This gets crazy. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. If anyone wants to harm these two witnesses, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So that if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. Also, they have the power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. They have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss, that is the Antichrist, will make war with them, and he will overcome them, and he will kill them. Their bodies will lie dead in the streets of the great city which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. They'll send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell in the earth. Check this out. After three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them. They stood to their feet and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. Obviously. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. Then they went up to heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. And in that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. What we just saw is that these witnesses have power from God, and the power that they have is to punish the world. Someone attacks them, they consume them with fire from their mouth. And they turn water to blood. And by the way, for this whole three and a half years, it doesn't rain. Which is significant, considering everything else that's happening in the world. These men, while they are proclaiming the gospel, will be attacked. And their attackers will be punished. In all of this, we're seeing a different angle of the tribulation. Thus far, we've seen judgment and wrath being poured out. But what we see here, and where this text climaxes, is with these realities and these awarenesses. In the midst of God's judgment and wrath, he's extending salvation to mankind. Is Revelation a book about God's judgment and wrath? Yes, but it's a book of hope. Remember the purpose of the book that you would repent of your sin and remain faithful in Christ. What's being emphasized here is that God is pouring out his wrath but in the midst of all of it he's extending salvation. He's offering salvation to humanity if they would just take him for his word. The gospel's being preached. His people are being preserved. And you know what? These people know. They know They know the gospel. They've heard it. They know that the sovereign God is in charge of everything that's happening. Look at what happens in the end of verse 13. They give glory to the God of heaven. They start praising God. Everyone who's seen what's happening here. But as we keep going, it's going to become clear that these people aren't believers. that We saw earlier in the book of Revelation that they said, protect us from Jesus Christ, the Lamb, who is pouring his wrath on the world. They know where these punishments are coming from, but they won't repent. But God is offering salvation. He's extending salvation to mankind. Also, in the midst of God's judgment and wrath, he is fulfilling his promises to his people. Yes, there's judgment. But God is being faithful. He's fulfilling what he told his people he would do thousands of years ago. And even as the world is suffering, we read this and we can rest in God's faithfulness. And even those who are persecuting the church and persecuting the Jews will look and be able to see God fulfilling his promises. And and hopefully many in that will run to Christ in repentance of salvation is offered. That's the the background. That's the other angle of what's been happening all along in this tribulation of judgment and wrath. God is not desiring that anyone should die but that everyone would come to repentance. He's desiring that from the beginning of time until the very end. He's desiring that for you that you would come to repentance, that you would see what is in this book and and run from sin and run to Christ to repent and to be faithful. Then the seventh trumpet is blown. After all of this takes place, the seventh trumpet is blown and we are in the very final days of the tribulation. What we're told in the end of this chapter is that when the seventh trumpet is blown, that worship starts happening in heaven again. Every time this judgment is poured out, God is being praised in heaven. The elders, remember them? They fall back on their faces. They're singing songs to God again. And there is a massive earthquake, a great hailstorm, and that leads to the climax of God's wrath being poured out. Next week... We're going to do three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, and we're going to see another side of the background that's been happening all through this tribulation, and then we'll come to the climax of God's judgment.